Welcome to Starkey Soundbites. I'm your host, Dave Fabry, Starkey's Chief Innovation Officer. Our guest today is Dr. Alfred Wamba, an audiologist based in Zambia, Africa. Today, he is the Executive Director of the Starkey Hearing Institute in Zambia, and I've had the pleasure of working with him numerous times in Africa. I think we first met in 2014, and it is uh, such a pleasure to have you on our podcast today. Alfred, thanks for being here. No, thanks. It's it's great fun. It's it's, uh, always fun to have a chat with you, Dave. (laughs) Well, I appreciate that. And let's let's talk about a little bit of, of your story. One could say, given that I happen to know that you share your birthday with World Hearing Day, you could argue that you were born to be an audiologist. I love that I was born in World Hearing Day, but it, it really was not my intention <laughs> to become an audiologist. I don't know. Um, it's 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 an honor, you know. I think I think World Hearing Day came after I it was did. born. Yeah, it did. It <laughs> so did. Because you're old is, now. I'm you're old. really old. On my birthday, yeah. I feel old, <laughs> older, and yes. wiser. Yes. Well, yes, indeed. But but talk a little bit about your journey. What you know, you grew up. Uh, you you live now in Lusaka. Yeah. But you did. You weren't born in Lusaka. I don't think you no, were born outside. I was, I was born in the northern region of Zambia, the Copper Belt region. Mm-hmm. So that was the commercial hub of, of the entire country. That's where the mining is done. Mm-hmm. So I grew up in Indola, which was the processing town, because each town in the Copper Belt has a specific um, industry. And mm-hmm. for Indola, it was a refinery place. And um, growing up in Indola, everybody knew everybody. It's like a small mm-hmm. town. Um, so everybody who grew up in, in my time, we all knew each other because mm-hmm. we lived in the same neighborhoods. We went to the same schools. Mm-hmm. Um, Did you think you would work in the mining industry? Was it, that sort of a, an ex- expectation? It was. Yeah. I mean, that's what we, we saw, you know, mm-hmm. the, the mining was, it's, it still is the main industry yeah. in the country. So everybody looked forward to go work in the mines. Yeah. So I was no exception for that. Yeah, and it's been said, you can't be what you can't see. Precisely. And you probably didn't run into an audiologist at that and, tender and I age. I like that, that you, you say that, you can't be what you can't see. Mm-hmm. And so I would never have thought of being born on third of March, mm-hmm. that I would want to be an audiologist because there were no audiologists right. to look up to. Right. Yeah. So so then what happened? So so here you go. You're a young boy growing up there. And at what point in time when you made the trip over to the U.S., uh, where, where, you know, talk a little <laughs> bit about that journey because I know there's some tennis in there and then you end how up at I? Purdue and let's hear. All right. So um, how do I end up even going to college? Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm from a humble background, but... Um, I was blessed enough to have good um, family. My my parents were very strong in, in making sure that I got a good education. My mom was a teacher mm-hmm. and my father was a salesman mm-hmm. and I loved to play tennis. So I spent so many hours on the tennis court. It was, it was my favorite thing to do. So I, I don't know any other sport. I, I can't play soccer. I tried to play soccer. I got smashed in the face. <laughs> I said, this is not for me. And that's why I loved tennis because you, you're Much on that. Much more That's a gentleman yeah. or gentlewoman's game. Yes. <laughs> but that tiny little ball when yeah, you hit it you, it hurts. hurts. <laughs> 
So um, after I graduated from from um, high school, mm-hmm. I, I moved to South Africa to try and become a professional tennis player. Mm-hmm. Um, I was about 16, 17 years okay. old at that time. And whilst I was playing there, there were a lot of South Africans who were in college tennis in America. So okay. they would always come and, and I would hit with them. And then one of them just planted a, a seed in my head. Mm. They said, hey, why don't you come play college tennis? I said, you can do that? Like, <laughs> I, I can't afford that. They said, yeah. no, no, if you're really good <laughs> enough, you know, you can get a tennis college. I'm like, wow, this America place must be really cool. I, I want to do that. And, you know, it all happened very quickly because this guy asked me about about playing college tennis, it's like maybe a, a week later, I have to go take my SATs. Okay. Like, okay, what are SATs? Wow, just that quick. It was like <laughs> a week later, you it, took yeah, the SATs. Pre- pretty okay. much. Okay. And I thought it was just some, oh, it's some math and English. My mm. goodness, that is not English. That is not even the Queen's English. That's just like some <laughs> Latin English. Um, and I remember words like boisterous. And, I, you know, those were big words sure. for me. I'm going, coming from, from a little town in Zambia. Who, whoever says words like gregarious. No, nobody <laughs> does that. And they ask you about these yachts. What's a yacht? Yeah. I've never even seen a, a ship <laughs> now. So, Pretty inland, yeah. Very much so. So um, at that time, I... I I went and I got the little booklet. I studied it. Um, I sent them my scores. And then fortunately for me that week, there was a big tennis tournament. Mm-hmm. And I and I, I happened to go play in it. And I beat the 14th ranked South African. And wow. South Africa is very okay. strong in yeah, tennis. Very. Long um, history. Yeah. So at that time, like their top players, like yeah. world class. Yeah. So when I beat that guy... Um, I sent those results over to uh, American colleges, five, six colleges. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of weeks later, I get a call from Hampton University in Virginia, hmm. Dr. Robert Screen. Mm-hmm. And he says, hey, is this Alfred? I'm like, yes, this is Alfred. Yeah, I'd like to talk to you about recruiting you to come play tennis. I'm like, mm-hmm. really? I, I thought I was dreaming. I like, go, oh, really? Mm-hmm. I thought this was just something you Hmm. you try and see if it will work and you never really expect it to work. Mm -hmm. And he said, we've seen your videos because you got to send them videos when they're recruiting. And we really like the way you play and we would like to offer you a scholarship. Um, I said, but I, I can't afford to come to school. I said, no, what a scholarship means is that, (laughs) you know, we will pay for it. So um, he gave me a full scholarship to, to go playing um, okay. at Hampton. And okay. at that time, because I was really entrenched in, in, in tennis and mm-hmm. I, I was actually studying to be a, a tennis coach, I said, I want to go study sports psychology. Okay. And so, you know, long story short, I, I find my way to Hampton University mm-hmm. and my life in America starts. And it, mm. it was very weird because I... I always knew North America as this cold place, and then college starts in like August. Sure. So I'm leaving home with the biggest jacket my mom could find me. I don't know where they got this jacket from. And so I show up and I fly into, um, actually there's, there is one, one important story about my travel to America, which I should share. Um, because I couldn't afford to purchased the ticket, even though I had a full scholarship, mm-hmm. I had to go and ask for help. Mm-hmm. And so I went to all of the big airlines and I asked Coca-Cola company, I mm-hmm. asked everybody, mm-hmm. anyone who would be able to help me get to America. And 
I wasn't I wasn't having any joy. <laughs> Two days before my the expiration of when I had to be in America, mm-hmm. I walk into um, British Airways and I write a, on a piece of paper that I'm heading to America and I need to just get to America and I'll be very grateful if they could help facilitate that because I was. Uh, committed to coming back home to to come and make a difference in whatever in, it is. Back in Zambia. Right. Uh-huh. And British Airways had never, ever given anybody a ticket in its existence. Mm. They decided to gift me the flight wow. to and from America. Wow. So that was the very first So they first did time. buy you a round-trip ticket. A round-trip. Yeah. And uh-huh. then they said, okay, pick any destination we mm-hmm. go to. I'm like, okay, here's the map. I don't really know where to go to. So I picked Philadelphia because I remember some white tires that I would see on TV. It's like, okay, that <laughs> looks close. like a cool place. Yeah. It's close <laughs> enough. So I end up and I fly into Philadelphia with my big coat right. in the middle of summer. Oh. And Philly is humid yeah. and hot. Oh, I look like an idiot <laughs> <laughs> coming out of that plane. But so you made it there. You, you, uh, you played tennis on a tennis scholarship. Still haven't told me how you got to audiology. How'd you, right. Most of us have stumbled into this discipline. Mine came in through pre-veterinary medicine, but I still want to hear and have everyone hear how you found my hearing. journey into hearing. Yep. So in my so I'm now I'm settled at Hampton University doing my my sports psychology and I'm taking uh, Sigmund Freud and Carl Jung and you know I guess everybody does those courses in mm-hmm. your first year. Mm-hmm. And in my second year my grandmother dies. Mm. Um, she dies from a stroke. Mm. Uh, but this was the second stroke. So the first stroke she had, um, my, my family calls me, your grandmother has had a stroke and she's not speaking very well and we can't really get any help for her. And, you know, she and I were very close and um, that touched me a lot. Mm-hmm. So I shared that story with my tennis coach and he just happened to be the head of communicative sciences and disorders mm-hmm. at Hampton University. Got it. What a coincidence. Mm-hmm. So he sucked me into it, really. Got he said, it. "He said, son, uh, your country needs people in this field to go help people like your grandmother. Because awesome. he, he was struggling to recruit guys into so the program. He's, he's who we, uh, he's who respo- who's responsible, he is for, responsible for you becoming, and you're always quick to remind me, you're not the only audiologist in Zambia, but the first. But, but the first. And that's aspirational. Exactly. And, and it is testimony to the fact that you upheld your promise to British Air yep. and to return to Zambia after you got your master's degree yes. um, at Purdue, mm-hmm. uh, at Big Ten University like the one I graduated Boiler from. Boilermakers. Yes, U of M, the that's Golden right. Gophers aren't nearly <laughs> as... Uh, you know, as tough a mascot as a boilermaker, nah. but nonetheless, uh, it came out of great education. Then back to Zambia? Yes. As a matter of fact, you know, I, I've been blessed with a lot of strong mentors. Mm-hmm. Making a transition, a young African boy mm-hmm. moving to America, mm-hmm. enjoying all of the luxuries that America has to offer, enjoying a great opportunity. And, you know, I'm I'm forever grateful because it would never have been possible in my wildest dream that I would ever come from Mandola and be educated at yeah. such a, a prestigious mm-hmm. um, university. And 
to be able to to remember and stay grounded to that vision of you got to remember why you went into yeah. the profession first of mm-hmm. all. Um, fortunately for me, the the mentors I had, uh, Dr. Robert Screen, Dr. Robert Ringel at Purdue, mm-hmm. um, they kept reminding me, Alfred, why are you here? Why are you here? And and I think that was a very strong component of of developing that sense of of servantship. Yep. Um, and you had I, to have it in you, but they helped pull it out. They of you. always kept me grounded. They keep you grounded. And so with with that, when the time came to go back home, when I finished my master's degree, mm-hmm. it wasn't an easy thing to do because sure. here I was, you know, uh, and at Purdue, I was very fortunate again to have a fellowship. So, like, you can go to school and they pay you to go to school. I love America. <laughs> Don't tell this to any of the audiology <laughs> students these days because, no, unfortunately, yeah. since you graduated and certainly since I graduated, the educational situation is very, very different, different and there's not as much in the way of that, that support. But, uh, uh, but at the time that you were in school and I was, it, it was really um, helpful because Absolutely. I came from a pretty humble background too, and I couldn't have afforded to pay to college. And I certainly am not a good tennis player. So we do owe it to the generation that we pay it forward. Yeah, you know, and exactly. and the best way that I could pay all of the blessings that came towards me is to pay it forward in service to to the people of Zambia and the people mm-hmm. of Africa and the people of the world. That's so well that's, said. Yeah, yeah. And so when we first met. You were working for a hospital um, yes. in back now uh, in Lusaka, and um, and we bumped into each other, I believe, for the first time in around 2014. 2014, July. And uh, uh, mm-hmm. we were meeting at a conference, and I was presenting uh, results from uh, some evaluations that we had done where we were using a behavioral fitting model yes. to try to uh, focus on scalability and sustainability uh, to, to really help address, and again, given your, your birthday is shared with World Hearing Day, uh, we know the current numbers are somewhere around 430 million people around the world yep. that have measurable hearing loss. Uh, we, um, you know, we lament in the U.S. that the adoption rate is about 34% of those with hearing loss wear hearing aids. What's the situation back in your home country in Zambia? What percentage of people who have hearing loss actually uh, get hearing aids? I wouldn't give you a, a specific number because statistics are not readily available. Mm-hmm. But to give you um, an idea of, of how big a burden hearing loss is, mm-hmm. you know, every year the Ministry of Education publishes information on the children who are in schools mm-hmm. with hearing loss. So... And this is not measured, so most of them are close to deaf or they have some hearing loss and because they haven't been exposed to speech, so they don't learn how to speak. Um, at, at the beginning of my career, they were um, publishing between grades one and nine. Yes. Over 28,000 school-going children okay. with hearing loss. Yes. Um, and none of them were getting any hearing aids. Mm-hmm. And, you 28,000, know, 28, and, and none were getting amplification. Zero, zero were getting amplification. And, of course, there were some agencies which uh, were available to mm-hmm. assist people with hearing impairment, mm-hmm. the, the National Association for the Deaf Zambia National Hearing Impaired Association. 
but even they did not have the access to the hearing aid. So mm-hmm. um, they would get occasionally donated hearing aids, but they wouldn't only just serve the, the school-going children. They had to serve the whole population. So even, even with that... I would say, you know, if we went statistically about 4% of the population yeah. having hearing loss, we're looking at 600,000 plus people, right. you know. And if we go with the higher percentage of like uh, 6%, we're close to a million people right. with with hearing impairment. Right. And so the uptake, well, access rather than yeah. uptake, the access very, very limited. So if you are born in... Um, a province which is not close enough to the capital city where I live, then you're out of luck. There's absolutely no service. So the number of people who currently are using hearing aids, of course, have have increased because, you know, uh, my presence there and having other professionals, um, Mm -hmm. hearing instrument specialists in the Mm -hmm. country has really helped to open up the country. Mm -hmm. So things are looking bright. But um, still, still, like the rest of the world, uh, low and and arguably. and, And I think for North Americans like myself, I mean, and as you know, uh, although I'm from North America, my adopted continent is Africa, and, uh, and having uh, had the great fortune of being there many times, right. um, to really see the situation through uh, uh, the, the situation in Africa is that while many of us here are talking about, well, as you get older, the older you get, the more likely you are to need hearing aids. In many countries that I've been to in Africa, you know, where the average life expectancy is you know, around 50, yeah. Uh, Ten years ago, when I first started going, that they don't, in many cases, live long enough uh, in order to acquire presbycusis. So, talk a little bit about the the nature. What are the biggest causes of hearing loss? Now, now Zambia is is different than that. It has a longer life expectancy, so right. you have uh, the same troubles that that we have in the U.S. Uh, with. Uh, the aging population feeling like hearing aids will make them look older, <laughs> the stigma. But you talk importantly about accessibility and affordability and also some issues that we take for granted in the U.S., issues like malaria or quinine, mm-hmm. um, which uh, it treats malaria but also causes hearing loss. Right. Talk a little bit about that with regards to the pediatric population. You see, Africa is a young continent. You have countries like Uganda with 42 plus million people with an average um, age of 15, you know. And as much as, yes, there are countries which have advanced a little bit more, the expect the life expectancy in in a place like Zambia is only fifty seven. Yeah, still yeah, fifty seven. Fifty seven. Yeah. So you, we're still in that um, transition point mm-hmm. where, as healthcare is improving, mm-hmm. more and more people are getting older. But that's not the primary population that use hearing aids in in, in Zambia. Yeah. Most of the hearing loss is from autotoxicity. We have a lot of infectious diseases still. Mm-hmm. And and every now and then, as much as uh, vaccination programs have, have increased and improved significantly, and that, that also has helped to reduce these infections, mm-hmm. um, we, still, we still have so many people um, falling through the gaps and, and not being able to, to get the, the vaccination that could prevent, you know, um, the need for autotoxic medicine. So you, you mentioned um, 
you call it quinine. Quinine? Quinine. Quinine. Okay, thank you. Okay. <laughs> well, we are in America, so we'll call yeah. it quinine. Yes, quinine. I'll go there. Yeah. Um, we know that artesunate uh, is not ototoxic, right. but it costs a dollar more a patient, or a dollar yes. forty, I think, is more it, a patient. It does cost more and, money and, than uh, quinine, and so uh, I think hearing is worth more than a dollar forty. It but, is, but nonetheless, it's really awareness. I think and, you know, it, it, beyond awareness, you, you're dealing with a, a lot of physician-driven health um, departments, mm-hmm. um, and and no disrespect to physicians, but. Prevention is not their primary sure. um, objective. It's it's that they they fall more towards treatment. Yeah. And you know we speak a lot about hearing loss being bloodless and painless, and it takes a long time mm-hmm. and taken for granted. Yeah, and it's taken for granted um, when you deal with with um, health systems which are dealing with tuberculosis, sure. HIV. malaria, HIV, yeah. the, these big three, mm-hmm. that takes, uh, you know, it's, it's not a priority. Yeah. So consequently, the investment into that is not so high. So when a child has, has a malaria, um, severe malaria, mm-hmm. we call it malaria plus plus, cerebral mm-hmm. malaria, mm-hmm. You, you do have a choice. And because there's so many of those children having to, to be treated, uh, as a government, do you only buy a few yeah. um, non-autotoxic meds, or do you buy a lot of autotoxic meds, but you save lives? Right. Um, obvious. The choice is obvious the at choice that is point, obvious. So, as long as there are limited funds. And there's always limited funds. And, and that's, that's, you know, so that has led to a situation where even in, when I was a young man, I, I actually don't know what silence is. It took me going mm. into this field to know that mm. that people don't have ringing in their ears. I thought everybody had ringing in mm-hmm. their ears. So when I was a young man, I got very sick. They mm-hmm. pumped me with quinine when I was uh, around nine years old. Mm-hmm. I've had ringing in my ears. Ever my since. hearing is normal, but I do struggle with speech and noise um, as a result of having that mm. constant ringing. Mm. Um, now that I mention it, I'm listening to it. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, we'll keep we'll keep going. Uh, we'll keep talking. Um, but we were talking about um, the you know causes. Yeah, the causes. Yeah, so, the causes. So, so you mentioned malaria. Malaria. We have a lot of ear infections. Yeah, a lot of middle ear infections. The the worst thing about it's not that the middle ear infections are the biggest culprit. It's the lack of knowledge in the you know, the, the medical fraternity on how to treat them that yeah. leads to a lot of these these um, hearing losses that we see. So we get to see a lot more infection-driven um, hearing losses um, and also hearing losses from treatments from infectious diseases as well as the infectious diseases themselves that can cause some hearing loss. So mm-hmm. that's the big chunk of... of um, causes of hearing loss that we deal with. Yeah, and you're really just at this point where, as you as we said, with a life expectancy of 57, yeah. just starting to see presbycusis in that population. But as healthcare continues to improve uh, in your nation and mm-hmm. surrounding nations, you're going to see that uh, increase in hearing loss that comes with aging as well. But, but it's just was interesting to me is that wasn't really top of mind for working with patients when I first started traveling to many African nations. And so we, we had this shared passion for hearing 
Um, different sides of the same coin, perhaps. Me working primarily with aging populations. You certainly in your role were working and, and really looking at improving that accessibility and affordability and access, as you mentioned. Yeah. Uh, and then we intersected in 2014, uh, and we were both at a conference in Oxford. Uh, and our, our first interaction, do you want to? You uh, <laughs> so I was presenting uh, on how we were working on the WFA fitting model to yes. uh, improve sustainability and scalability to treat more people, um, you know, to really consider all of those thousands of people that couldn't receive access. And your first words to me, well, if this is good enough if for Africa. If it's good enough for Africa, why isn't it good enough for the United States or anywhere else in the developed world? Yeah. And I'll tell you that if you'll remember, I mean, yeah. it, it, it made me stop and think. Yes. And, uh, and uh, I would say our friendship started at that moment of conflict, if you will. It was right. productive discourse. Mm -hmm. And I think we've at least on my end, we've been fast friends ever since because Absolutely. you will all, I can always count on you to challenge me. And I think my response was, well, it should be. Mm -hmm. and, and it's interesting because now we come eight years later and uh, as we look at over-the-counter hearing aids, which are becoming uh, a reality in the U.S. and trying to, again, look at accessibility and affordability right. um, and, and looking at solutions for behavioral fitting methods that may not be dependent on the audiogram, I can finally say that it, it is it and is. It, it will be. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I think it's been really interesting to see the way that things have intersected. And, and then it, it has been interesting to see your growth as a professional and, and uh, counting on you as a friend and colleague right. now in the sense that you uh, talk a little bit about your role now at the Starkey Hearing Institute. So going backward forward mm -hmm. in the sense that you know we 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 had this discourse you and I about the fitting method that was being used the WFA uh, community based model and um it it is it's very important that you raise that question and and you remind me of that question because a lot of my own perceptions have changed um what seemed to me at that time as being a non-scientific or non-clinical way of, mm -hmm. of doing things is actually what it should be. You know, we, we do a lot. I mean, I'm American trained, and, and so I can relate to a lot of American audiologists in, in thinking that, well, you have to go through all these protocols in order for you to get satisfaction. But at the end of everything that we do, we ask one simple question, how does that sound? Mm -hmm. You know, so who's the boss there? Right. You know, so we, we, we have to, to sort of look at how this evolution is yeah. actually from, from where I'm sitting. I, I think that no one should, should look at um, over-the-counter hearing aids as a problem. I see it as a big solution. Right. And, you know, I can only share the work that we have done, you know, so... Um, we have a training program where we're training hearing instrument specialists in, in all methods. Yeah. So we train them to be able to do um, the most stringent verification methods that, mm -hmm. that are there, mm -hmm. um, to simply working with your two hands in the middle of a field um, with just nothing but a hearing aid and, and, and an individual in front of you. You mm -hmm. know, you have to provide that service. Mm -hmm. And so the, my mindset and my growth 
has been as a result of that first encounter. Yeah. Why isn't it good enough? And, and when I look at over-the-counter hearing aids, I'm saying, hey, you know what? I actually have seen yeah. how a method where you're getting somebody access and they enjoy what they're, they're mm-hmm. hearing, of course, we will get people argue, say, well, they don't know what they're hearing. Uh, well, you don't know what they're hearing either. Right. If we start with <laughs> audibility and then balance between the two ears and preventing loudness discomfort, yeah. we're beginning to meet the patient where they are. Absolutely. And, 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 that, and, and you know, absolute best practice should always be appropriate to the environment that is available that will provide yeah. that best accessibility, mm-hmm. affordability with, uh, you know, something that's scalable and sustainable. And, Absolutely. And, and I think, you know, there, there's, there's not any argument there from the standpoint of focus on the patient. Focus and, and on the patient. And, and the, patient, the patient guides you. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many times have you, Dave, clinically um, worked with the patient and you're pumping your chest? I have programmed my hearing aids to the best ability. You put it on the patient's uh, ears and they're like, what the, yeah. you know, my come on. sounds funny. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, back to yeah. square one. And then yeah. you have to work off of their yeah. feedback. And I think, you know, uh, the lesson that I would share from our work is is that by providing that access to sound, mm-hmm. you know, you change people's lives and they will want more sound. They will want better sound. Mm-hmm. And we're well placed as audiologists and mm-hmm. hearing care professionals to be able to serve even more people. Mm-hmm. So I feel it is more of an opportunity that the lessons that we shared, I mean, I had a backlog of um, a few thousand people because I was the only one in my country mm-hmm. providing service. You came in, you, you were at mm-hmm. the very I first, was. you know, um, uh, program we had where we were uh, serving a lot of people at, at a go. Mm-hmm. And I can, I can assure you, because I stayed on the ground, mm-hmm. that a lot of those people received so much benefit. Of course, there's go- always going to be a percentage who would need further um, sort of services, sure. but we provided them that initial access. And that's all we advocate for. You know, let's, let's let people have a chance to hear and be the best version of themselves. And then we will make sure that we get them to the best possible level that they can get to. How can you argue against that when our biggest competition is non-compliance or non, you know, non-access mm-hmm. to try to have the possibility that people can hear better and then a continued focus on trying to get them to do as well as they possibly can given the resources that are available. Yeah. And I think a large part of that resource in Zambia is the same as you know, our focus in the U.S. We're, we're all for over-the-counter hearing aids as a means of getting people on their hearing journey. Right. But we also recognize that the role of the professional is exceedingly important. And with your role at the Institute, I think one of the things that's, that's most impressive to me is your training individuals to assist with patients who are wearing amplification to ensure that they know how to insert them in their ears, how to change the batteries, how to clean, how to do the proper protocols, as you said. But but the fitting really isn't the, the finish line. No. You know, it's the starting point. And talk a little bit. The cohorts you have at the Institute are typically around 16 to 20 individuals. Yes. And they are there for a period of how long? An academic year, yeah. uh, essentially 10 months, um, no breaks. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the, the thing about what we have 
what we have done and have managed to achieve is to increase access in more than 16 countries across the continent. 16. 16. Yeah. So whilst I might be the first audiologist, um, I'm proud that we have over 22 hearing instrument specialists in Zambia. I can be here and have this podcast with you, and I'm not worried about someone having to not get access because I am not there. Mm -hmm. And that's what our profession is about, yeah. you know, empowering people, mm -hmm. empowering the patients that we work with. Mm -hmm. And we have now trained 67 people in, awesome. in all of these countries. And, and we're receiving great stories about how they're changing people's lives. We have people working in the community with just their bare hands and, and some hearing instruments um, that they are fitting on people. We have people working and running tertiary level um, hospitals, teaching hospitals. And, you know, I think the focus in, in our training is more on the competency mm -hmm. rather than on the qualification. Because if, if you're competent and you can change, I mean, I, I, if, if you allow me to share why, sure. why, I personally have been inspired to, to, to change um, my mindset and, and work on capacity building. When I first, when I returned from, from America to go to Zambia, the very first person that I met was my brother's barman. Okay. His name is Patson. And Patson had this big smile, very good positive energy, good, good individual. And I, you know, I was kind of like, okay, why is this guy so happy? You know? <laughs> He's always happy. Uh, but I worked with Patson for so many years when I started working to a point where I personally experienced this young boy that I, uh, he had served um, from when he was younger, mm -hmm. run up to him and give him this big hug of embrace, you know, and the family was so appreciative. And, and for me, it's light bulb. You know, we gave that young man an opportunity to excel in his school. Mm -hmm. And now he's going to secondary school. Mm -hmm. And we gave this barman an mm -hmm. opportunity to transform people's lives. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's really not about that title. It's what you can do to change people's lives. And that's exactly what the Starkey Hearing Institute has done. Mm -hmm. in changing people's lives every, day. every yeah. day and providing access. I mean, what a better calling than that yeah, can you, you can't, ask for? You can't. You know. Well, I do have a question. We talked about the fact that, you know, you are skewed towards younger uh, patients than we are typically here uh, with the life expectancy being greater in, in the U.S. Um, do you have the same stigma or is the stigma different <laughs> as it relates to um, hearing loss and particularly hearing aids? Because you don't have that issue of they're going to make you look older because in many cases, sadly, as you said, yeah. with a life expectancy of 57, um, you don't, it, it, how is the stigma different? It's kind of, I mean, I, I think maybe if, if we go a little bit further back, even though audiology started from, you know, World War I, yeah. World that War history, II, World yeah. War II, sorry, yeah. Yeah, with that, um, the stigma that we, we, the stigma that might have existed there, and I'm imagining this, mm -hmm. was more that all of these deaf veterans are now using hearing aids. So it was more, the hearing aid was associated to deafness. Sure. It's, that's where we are. Because 
we have a lot of young people who have hearing loss yeah. and they are the ones who use hearing aids. Yeah. So the stigma is more, if you are using a hearing aid, then you are likely to be seen as deaf. As deaf. Okay, That's, interesting. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, not so much old because we don't get a lot of yeah. old people. So it's that, a throwback yeah. to that kind of... Yeah. But, uh, you know, that. things have changed. You know, since, the, since having all of these... Uh, readily available smartphones, everybody mm -hmm. wants headsets. Mm -hmm. And so it's very difficult now to be able to notice a hearing aid. As a matter of fact, with, with the cool technologies that we have with streaming capabilities, um, and I, I wear my, my hearing aids um, for listening to, to um, audio books and, mm -hmm. you know, and I wear them and, and people say, oh, that's, that's a cool set of, of yeah. headphones. So I think that there is that stigma which is disappearing as a result of people always having things on their ears. I mean, now we've, we've spent three years of our lives wearing masks, so we always yep. are used to seeing people having something on their ears. So I would say that the stigma is, is a little bit different. It's still there, yeah. but it's not quite, it's, it's reducing with yeah. time. Well, and, and as a member of the baby boom generation, I, I say that in comparison to my parents who were from the traditional generation, those born before uh, World War II, mm -hmm. that they were indeed in, in this country stigmatized uh, by hearing loss and their primary concerns were cardiovascular disease and cancer. Um, now, the baby boom generation, being more educated than our, our parents, mm -hmm. um, uh, cognitive decline is an issue. Yes. I'm not as stigmatized by what hearing aids uh, will make me look like. Uh, my gray hair does that. <laughs> but, but I have higher expectations for what they can do. Like mm -hmm. you said, we, I want my, pay, my dream come true is when I have the opportunity to, have, to explain to somebody what modern hearing aids can do. And then they say, I want that. And I don't even have hearing loss. And if we make them desirable, if we make them a little cool, and then get people uh, to say, you know, this is my superpower. This right. is something that I can augment what, what I naturally have. That's sort of the best of That's both. That's the best of both worlds. And when you look at some of the innovations, teleaudiology. Mm -hmm. I mean, Which has some, to be huge in Zambia, right? The potential for the that. The potential is, is massive, yeah. you know. You, you have to, however, realize that we are so used to traditional medicine having a doctor sitting in front of you. Mm -hmm. So it can be a little bit different and uncomfortable for, for certain people. Uh, believe it or not, there are still people out there who have never seen somebody talking to them from a distance on some, you know, uh, gadget. It's, yeah. it, there are people like that in, yeah. it, where, I, where I'm coming from because they live in rural areas and they don't have access to those sorts of technologies. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it is an opportunity that has, you know, just exploded our ability to reach more people. Mm -hmm. And we can leverage. I, I can, I mean, I can be in the middle of of Mongu somewhere in Zambia, and I can pick up the phone and say, hey, Dave, uh, I'm having this challenge with this individual. What do you think I should do? I mean, even that is great value mm -hmm. because now we are better able to serve people because we have that interconnectivity. You know, right. we spoke about how many people across Africa have received the um, our, our graduates who are yeah. now serving there. Yeah. But this interconnectivity means that we're more like a hub yes. and everybody's connected to each other and we can help each other at any time. And I think that's the beauty of what technology is doing. And, and you know, I'm really excited about 
Um, even when they say, oh, self-fitting hearings, I'm like, more opportunity for us to provide yeah, better service. Not a threat. It's no. more opportunity to engage. And, and in a way, like you said, telehealth is like that ancient continent, Pangea, where they were all one continent. Mm-hmm. And the phone, the cell phone. And the cool thing for me is, is to see how cell phones really are ubiquitous in, in Zambia. Yeah. I mean, now they're not all smartphones, but they're cell phones. They're and cell I phones. think what I remember is some of the biggest challenges is people will have phones that have prepaid service and then they, <laughs> they go, they're depleted and then they get a new phone number. Right. So, so, you know, one of the challenges still comes down to accessibility, yeah. not that they don't have a, they have a wireless and a cell phone connection, mm-hmm. but keeping that number the same. Uh, still remains a challenge in some cases. Yeah, in some cases. Uh, things have improved quite a lot. And, and, and you know, it's, it's, it's hard not to find network. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's good. That's a good thing. Yeah, you want sometimes uh, you, to be you, off the grid. You do want to be <laughs> off the grid sometimes. But, you know, things are improving. Yeah. Uh, we, a country like Zambia is not densely populated. So because it's not densely populated, you know, it was lots of dead areas. Yeah. But when you go to a place like Malawi, there's yeah. barely any space. And right. So there, even there, their connectivity is is much better. Yeah. So these are the opportunities that we have available to us. And, you know, we're just looking forward to more and more. And Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, tell me what you need and we'll keep working on it. I know one question, one more technology question, and then I see already we're almost out of time. But... Um, uh, rechargeable batteries versus replaceable batteries. One of the issues has been in some of the areas, you know, where you're, you're um, really remote areas, um, the hearing aid, again, is just the beginning of the journey because you have to have uh, batteries to supply them. But with rechargeable, um, has the adoption rate for rechargeable uh, in Zambia been similar to the, the rest of the world where it's quickly going that way in hearing aids? Or is there still a need and desire for replaceable zinc air batteries? I would say that for most of the new users, Mm -hmm. they prefer the rechargeable Mm -hmm. option Mm -hmm. because they're used to charging their phone anyway. And and so what's charging a hearing aid? Because you charge your devices every day. For those who are used to batteries, they have it a little bit difficult because they, they tend to forget, even though they charge their phone, but they tend to forget to charge their, their hearing aids. Yeah. So you're right when you say that there is a push for more people to have rechargeables, but it, it, it also just makes sense. It, sure. it, it saves them. For the environment yep. is better, and you're throwing out th- less waste. Absolutely. Um, it saves the expense, yes, and, expense and the need to go out and find batteries, even sometimes you, you if they're in remote You can't find batteries. Areas. I yeah. mean, if you're in a remote area and you can't get to Lusaka, then you won't be able to right. get batteries. Then you get batteries from, from for, for the watch, which only lasts a few hours, yeah. and, and it's much more expensive than a hearing aid battery. Mm. So those are the, some of the challenges that I am excited that, you know, rechargeables are able mm-hmm. to sort of take care of that problem for us. Well, thank you for that and sharing a little bit about the situation as it relates to access for the technology, uh, service as, as, you know, h- how soon will there be a doubling of the number of audiologists in Zambia, do you think? 24 um, months. Excellent. I'm glad to hear <laughs> At it. least that's the target. Yeah, well, well and, and really, this has been the first time in over two years that I've been able to see you. I've had the pleasure of uh, you and Sheba, your wonderful wife, uh, opening your home uh, for visit. And I look forward to visiting again. And uh, as we wrap today, I'm wondering if from your journey, from a young man 
uh, born uh, in uh, uh, you know, the northern part of Zambia, finding their way through Hampton University, Purdue, Salis was where you got your My AUD. AUD yes. um, what advice do you have for um, someone considering a career in audiology now or the younger professional looking to find their way, seeing all of the threats but not seeing the opportunities. And when I think of some of the obstacles that you've overcome, mm -hmm. uh, even to get your first flight here, you know, yes. and your determination, <laughs> what advice do you have for someone starting out uh, or considering a, a, a profession in audiology? You know, recently I, I, I met a friend who said that you, you never switch off your ears. Uh, well, uh, it, we all know it, but very few times do you hear that. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, with, with hearing, you, you connect love, emotion. When you hear someone tell you, I love you, you know, mm -hmm. you, you feel something. It mm -hmm. changes you. And one of the things that is very addictive in this line of work is having people reconnected with the people they love. Yeah. And you have to put yourself in that position. Mm -hmm. And that comes first. Mm -hmm. Yes, we get school loans and we have to pay them off. But if you build it and you truly serve the people, there is nothing that you would do wrong. Because, um, you know, for me, who is a spiritual person, that's a higher calling Absolutely. to be able to change people's lives. I, I never left America to go back to Zambia to go get rich, yeah. you know, but I'm not starving. Yeah. You know, my needs are taken care of. Yeah. And it's because I choose to serve. And so if it's, it's a young professional coming into this field, it's that service to humanity, service to connecting people to each other. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's where the focus ought to be, not so mm -hmm. much on what, is, what can go wrong and how will I survive. You know, it always works out. Yeah. And you mentioned, really, it's that emotional connection to hearing when we think about, I mean, I think it was Maya Angelou that said, people won't remember what you said, but they'll remember how you made I them feel. feel yeah. And uh, so when you think of your favorite sounds, mm. can you identify what a couple of your favorite sounds are as somebody who's now devoted a significant part of your life to hearing? I, I like to walk in the woods mm -hmm. and, it's, and it's quiet and you just hear the rustling of the leaves the peace that I feel when I'm in that environment, mm -hmm. I, I can't explain that. So I'm not so much of a beach person and mm -hmm. water waves. I, I like that, that freedom. I, I feel connected to, to the planet Earth when I'm in that woody kind of space. Love you know, it. it's really beautiful. I share that with you, except that usually the woods where I'm walking are a lot colder than they were for <laughs> you are. But... Uh, well, Alf, I can't tell you how much of a pleasure it's been to have you on the podcast today. And uh, I hope you come back. And I look forward to seeing you again soon. And I wish you all the best. And, uh, and once again, it's, it's not often you get to interview someone who's had a day named in their honor <laughs> with World Hearing Day. Well, I, I would like to balance my head as I walk out of here. You know, I appreciate that. And, you know, it's, it's a great pleasure to, to be able to share these stories with with, with other professionals and other people because the joy is just immeasurable. So thank you so much for taking time to have this podcast with me and happy world hearing. Thank you very much. And to our listeners, thank you for listening to this episode of Starkey Soundbites. And if you've enjoyed this conversation, please rate and review us on your preferred podcast platform. 
You can also hit subscribe to be sure that you don't miss a single episode. So we'll see you and hear you again soon. Thank you.